Well, welcome once more to the uh, continuation of our Lectio Divina, which is this effort uh, to meditate upon the Word of God and to do so truly in a spirit of prayer. This isn't a Bible study or anything like that. It is simply saying, letting go of all the cares and troubles we face, saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so we're gathered here in the, the Cathedral Basilica of St. Michael, and I greet you all. I also greet uh, our friends uh, at uh, St. Joseph the Worker Parish in Oshawa. Hello to you. And also our friends in uh, St. Edward the Confessor Parish in North York, who are both of whom groups are following this uh, live stream, and to all of those who are seeing this through Salt and Light, which will be, which is as always, uh, uh, videotaping the, uh, the Lectio Divina. This year, we're meditating upon passages of Scripture which speak to us of what it means to be in a Christian community. That's very important because we're not simply Christians alone on our own. We are called into a community by the Lord and we live there. And it is a, a situation in which we're strengthened by uh, the support of those around us and by the grace of God working through them. And it's also a situation where we face all kinds of struggles and cares and troubles. That's the reality. We use the various gifts that God gives us, the situation in which we're found, whatever the Lord entrusts to us, and we are stewards of that experience, caring for the community. And in the way we are doing this in our own archdiocese, we care for the gathered, reach out to the scattered. And in that way, we fulfill the mission the Lord gives us. This passage this evening is from the Gospel of John, which is the most sublime of all the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke speak to us of the, the kind of the nitty-gritty reality of the encounter with Christ. Mark very dramatically, the actions of Jesus. Matthew with the teachings of Jesus. Luke with an encounter with the human warmth of Jesus. It's in the Gospel of Luke that we see the parable of the prodigal son and the parable of the Good Samaritan. We get a sense of what they experienced, the warmth and the love of Jesus. And then after all of that had been put together by in various communities of the earliest Christians, then the community of the beloved disciple put together his testimony. And over many, many decades, it came forth in the evangelist in the great and mighty, magnificent Gospel of John. So as a symbol for Matthew's gospel is the human, the sign of the genealogies of Christ that are found there, and of Mark's, the lion, the symbol of Christ, of the sound of the lion roaring out in the wilderness at the beginning of Mark's gospel. And Luke's is the bull or the oxen being offered in sacrifice at the beginning of the gospel. The symbol for John's gospel is the eagle because it flies, it just soars to show us the majesty of God. In the three gospels, they're called synoptics because it means with one eye. You can, they're very similar to one another, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We experience especially the humanity of Christ, the suffering. And very often you see a crucifix that comes out of the tradition of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Christ is like this in great suffering and pain. 
as indeed we see if it were daylight in the window behind us, which is that kind of crucifix. But in the earliest forms of crucifix, actually, they're more based on the Gospel of John, where his arms are stretched out in victory and strength, always in the Gospel of John, because the Holy Spirit had guided him to meditate so deeply upon it. They see the divinity shining always through the humanity, and the Lord's glory is revealed. The first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John are sometimes called the Book of Signs because they're various indicators of who Jesus is. It's very carefully put together. All of the Gospels have been, are the result of many, many years of prayer and reflection and selection and boiling down. They're kind of like distilled. But we see there a few signs of the glory of the Lord. And then from this passage, chapter 13, moving on, we have what is known as the Book of Glory, which is from chapter 13 to 20, and then the gospel ends. And then it starts up again for chapter 21. There's a kind of a sequel added on to put in more about especially St. Peter and the beloved disciple. So the passage this evening is when we come to the, what we call the Last Supper. And it is that encounter with the Lord in which he washes the feet of the disciples. And this was a remarkable thing that in the Gospel of John, which is the most sublime of all the Gospels, there's no reference to what we find in the other three about the bread and the wine and the Eucharist, more obviously. That's found in the Gospel of John in chapter six earlier on, the bread of life. He just shifted it over there. He felt free to do that, just shifted it. And he dealt with it there. In the, in the, when he describes the final meal of the Lord with his disciples, as he comes to those who are his friends, he says, I call you no longer servants, but friends, for you know all things that I have done amongst you. As he comes to that passage, which we're, we're beginning right here in today's reading, we see that kind of compassion and loving service which he gives when he washes the feet of the disciples. So much humble servant love, which we're all called, he says, to imitate him in. And it really was humble to those who washed the feet, because in, in um, ancient Palestine, they just had sandals and they come in off of dusty roads and everything. So one of the slaves would wash the feet of the guests so that they would be prepared to go in for the, the meal. It's a very humble thing. And the Lord is presenting himself as a servant and as a slave, really, with this towel wrapped around him. And as he's doing that, woven in with it, we see the presence of Judas. Our Lord Jesus kneels down with a towel around his waist and humbly washes the feet of Judas who he knows is going to betray him. He reaches out to him with compassion and humility. And if that doesn't speak to us about what we're called to be as his disciples, I don't know what will. So let us begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty God, Send your spirit upon us 
Help us to let go of all those things which so, so fill our hearts, those barriers, those burdens that can weigh us down. Here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. Let's ask God's forgiveness for those times that we have turned against him and have not loved him and our neighbor. And we put a barrier to the pathway to our heart. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, give us the spirit of a servant in humble service of others, perhaps even of others who have betrayed us or will do so. May we be as Jesus, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not know now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you will have no part in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is clean all over, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, you are not all clean. And when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of you all. I know whom I have chosen. It is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. 
I tell you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives anyone whom I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had thus spoken, he was troubled in spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was lying close to the breast of Jesus. So Simon Peter beckoned to him and said, tell us who it is of whom he speaks. So lying thus close to the breast of Jesus, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give this morsel when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, that after the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money box, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he immediately went out and it was night. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He has been traveling around throughout Galilee and Judea, speaking to people, giving them the sense of his presence and the light and the love of the Lord, performing miracles. But now he's coming to the feast of the Passover and he knows here now in Jerusalem, this is where he is going to experience the suffering, death, that lead to resurrection. So before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, the hour had come. Earlier on, he says, my hour has not yet come. It is all in God's plan and the providence of God, of the heavenly Father who sent him. I've just become aware of that a lot lately because I'm preparing now for a series of talks to some priests on the Gospel of John. And it's been a long time since I've really gone deeply into the Gospel of John. So I've been reading it aloud a half an hour a day reading it, reading it, reading it again, trying to become immersed in it. And it's in doing that that I've realized really for the first time how much of a reference there is in the gospel to Jesus as the one who is sent, sent by the heavenly father. And then at the end he says how he sends his disciples. He and we are people with a purpose. There is a direction a plan, a providence of God. It's once been said, the only thing that we know for sure is that God's providence rises before the dawn.
And then again, G.K. Chesterton once said, the only thing we know for sure, the only doctrine we can prove, really, is original sin. And that's in here, too. Judas also comes into the midst of this. So here, the Lord is, is here. He loves his disciples, and he loves them to the end. Even as he approaches, sort of like just getting ready to enter into what he knows is going to be this pain, evil. And the evil's already there, right among his friends. This evil that he's going to approach in a way of showing complete love in the midst of it. Not returning hate for hate and bitterness for bitterness, but love for hate. Sort of like a purifier, like dirty water in, clean water out. That's not our usual way. Usually we're dirty in, dirty out, hate in, hate out, with magnifying too. But no, this is another way. There's got to break this power of evil that brings no life, no light, no joy. So now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, and he knew how he was going to do it, the pain of hatred, physical pain, and the horror of the crucifixion, which in his humanity experienced in the synoptic gospel, they say of shedding, like sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had come to depart into this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. There is so much evil. In the midst of it, there is love. We see in these days in Pittsburgh and the terrible, terrible evil. I mean, evil. And we see just a day or two ago in Egypt, once more, a few months after a previous, some buses of pilgrims are going to a monastery. And these people came and machine gunned, killed, these good people. So that's the world, in the midst of which love shines brightly in the invitation of Christ. And in that, we go deep. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Not around evil, not over it, not under it, but through it. Right into it. And there we see the life and the love that God shows us. Amazing. So let's just spend a little quiet time and think of our own experiences in so small a way. So many people around the world face this more directly than we do by far. How do we experience that? Of pain and love and hatred and betrayal? And can we ask the Lord now, 
Just let us be more like our Lord Jesus, loving to the end, not in a world that is free of storms, for the Lord always comes walking through the storm, not in the simple and calm water. How often have we in our lives let the force of evil around us corrupt our hearts? Lord, help us to respond to that with a deeper love. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and tied a towel around himself. He does this, the act of a ultimate service, very humble, the act of a slave. Here we have Almighty God amongst us, with us, in the little babe at Bethlehem and suffering on the cross and here kneeling down and washing dirty feet. What does God look like? He looks like Jesus washing dirty feet. It's very grounded because the Father sent him to show us that. It's in the washing of the dirty feet that we discover the majesty and the love of God. And we've been called to do that all these years. That's what Michael Power did. He who went out from this place right here at the age of 42, bishop of this city, to go down to where the island, roughly the island airport is, that area, and care for the refugees who are dying of typhus. Two structures represent him to this day. One was this cathedral, which he built to the glory of God, or which we have returned to his vision. And the glory of the Lord God led him to go and wash dirty feet and clean wounds until ultimately he himself experienced that, gave his life at the age of 42 for the people he served out of pure, pure love in the midst of a refugee situation caused by natural disaster and also helped along by a lot of iniquity too. And there he was, and he's buried directly below the cathedral. And that's the foundation of our diocese. And we think of others. We think of Sister Delphine Fontbonne, who came a bit later and also at an even younger age died of a disease from caring for the sick and the needy. We think of the four, five actually, young Loretto sisters in their 20s who came to the front door of the rectory here to offer themselves to serve in the midst of suffering. And four of them are buried underneath in the crypt down below. 
And just last year, I had the honor of coming out of the front door of the rectory as Bishop Power did in 1847 and greeting the Loretto sisters, the leadership, the mother general with some of her assistants. So this is the tradition of love. And yet there is not only putting the old towel around and doing that, but also in the midst of it, knowing that the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. It doesn't mean the devil made him do it. Now, we're all free. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil. These are temptations. They don't compel, they simply tempt. We have to agree to it. And the world and the flesh do an awful lot of it. The flesh being not just lust, but pride, anger, envy, greed, laziness, lust, gluttony, all the ego-driven stuff. And the world. We're in a world where they're talking about killing children before they not even telling the parents. That's welcome to Canada. So the world, the flesh. And if anyone doesn't recognize the other reality, I don't think we're attentive to what's happening, to the diabolic temptations. But always there's the free response when good, innocent people are gunned down. There's something there that's a, a level of evil that is not to be dismissed in some banal way. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God. And that's the context which leads to the holiness and the self-sacrificing love of Jesus and those who follow him, like Sister Delphine and Michael Power and all the others we see. He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. That is what we're called to do in whatever way it you know, takes shape in our lives. Faith, hope, and love. Faith is the reason, the vision the Lord God in his context. The hope gives us the energy to do this no matter what, and the love is the practical service. I often think of that sign I saw once when I was driving through New England, doing good is my God. Well, no, God is our God, but it shows forth in that kind of profound sacrificial love modeled on Christ, which we see so much. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not know now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. This is typical Peter. He doesn't get it. He never does. He's so consistently, so profoundly superficial. Amazing. And we look at him and we see, there we are. The beloved disciple never seems to make a mistake. He's just leaning over talking to Jesus. 
And Jesus didn't risk entrusting the church to him. Too good. But Peter always fumbles and bumbles. And that's why the Lord entrusted the church to him. So that he wouldn't get under the impression that he was running it. Because he's always lurching forward, jumping into the water, and then realizing what he's done. He, later on, the Lord, you know, he says, I will never deny you, I will die for you. And Jesus says, before the cock crows tomorrow morning, you're gonna deny me three times. So we look in the mirror and we see Peter looking back a lot of the time. I hope we don't see Judas. Peter is more, you know, from denying him to betraying him. And then in the midst of it all, this sublime love shown in practical washing dirty feet. Oh, it's amazing. So Peter blusters along. You shall never wash my feet. And then of course he flips over in a moment. He's totally unstable in his positions. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Now that's really important. If I do not serve you as a servant, your Lord and Master, my Lord and my God, you will have no part of me. It's essential to our experience to see the suffering servant who is Jesus, who is then, as he knows, headed towards the cross and through that to the resurrection. If he wants to sort of short circuit around it, that's not gonna go. You can have no part of me unless you let me wash your feet in the most slave-like gesture available in the ancient world and recognize that that humility is the pathway to glory, not in bluster, not in power. For as St. Paul says in Philippians, he did not cling to his equality with God, but emptied himself, taking our life, even to death, death on a cross. We've got to remember that. And as his disciples, we cannot take a different path. And we've been tempted to down for the last 2,000 years to do it our way, blustering and fumbling but we always have to go and live in the imitation of Christ and not in some worldly solutions to solving this world's problems. We've got to use our intelligence, our talents and all of that for the glory of God and the service of our neighbor. But we cannot dodge the hard reality of Christian discipleship, which is to enter into that deep humility of service of other people, recognizing in each person the face of Christ and treating each person with reverence. What I am in the sight of God, that I am indeed, no more, no less. No one is unworthy. Everyone is worthy of having their feet washed by Almighty God. Everyone. 
No one even lacking this or that superficial gift or talent or whatever that is valued in the world. No one is unworthy. No one is dispensable. No one is disposable. God made me and he didn't make trash. Each one of us is a child of God. Each one of us could well have God with us washing our dirty feet. And we must then live that way too. No one is dispensable. No one is disposable. Each person is to be treated with the reverence the Lord shows. And so Jesus says to him, he who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. A little, I think, a twinkle in his eye at this moment too. Peter, really, you know. Hmm. But he is clean all over. And you are all clean. You are clean. But not all of you. There's a dirt you can't wash off with a towel and a bowl. There's an evil that is in the heart. And for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, you are not all clean. And when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? So let's just take a moment now and think about that. Do we know what he has done to the disciples? and to you and to me. What are the situations we find ourselves in where we have not lived that way? And how can we be more humble, loving, sending out that message and that experience of love in the midst of the struggles we face? I just think of those 18 young men on the beach as they were dying the Coptic martyrs, their last words were, Jesus is Lord, in the midst of unspeakable evil. So let's just pray and think about that for a moment. When he had washed their feet and taken his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. To know and to do. Sometimes I think Plato may have gotten it wrong. He thought if you know, that's enough. But that's just the first step. If you know, do. The intellect and the will. To know, to love, to serve. A couple of years ago when I was in grade one, that summed up life. Why did God make me? To know, love, 
and serve him and to do service, show that love to the people around us. Because St. John says in one of his letters, how can we love the God we do not see if we don't love our neighbor who we do see? For I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. There's this plan, this design, this purpose in life, that where even there is this ego that breaks up this world into so much evil and selfishness, the Lord God came into this. He didn't turn us into robots who would, well, you can't do good automatically. We have the free will to do diabolic evil, and we've seen so much of it, or lesser things. But he came into this world sent by the Father, and he then sends us to give that love right into the heart of the world of evil. And to do that day after day for a purpose. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of you all. I know whom I have chosen. It is that the scripture may be fulfilled. And he chose after a night of prayer a group of 12 apostles. And in the list it always says, and Judas Iscariot who would betray him. Now I guess he could have used his superpower as God just to go like that and flip his mind around and make Judas whatever. That would turn Judas into whatever, like a machine. It's always God never compels, he invites. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And it was night. And that has happened down through the ages. The world, the flesh, and the devil have, there's been a lot of temptation of even the 12 apostles and their successors ever since. And that's why when we elect the Pope, we do so in front of the last judgment of Michelangelo, where you see the Lord, some great saints going up and others, including lots of popes and cardinals going down. The free will is there because the temptation is great. And I think that the evil emperor takes greatest delight in taking down a Jedi Knight. And that's been happening since the beginning. At the Last Supper, can you imagine? At the Last Supper itself, there, at, and Jesus, Judas didn't leave till after Jesus washed his feet in a sign of love, welcome, and then, see, later on, he hands him as an act of friendship. He hands him, he's so close to him, he can reach over and hand a piece of bread to Judas. Probably the beloved disciple on one side, Judas on the other. That close. 
So we should always think of that and pray that all of us will get the point, not just in our heads, but in our hearts and in our lives. I tell you now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives anyone whom I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. There is that sublime harmony in the midst of chaos, the Father sending the Son into this world to bring harmony and love, but in the midst of the chaos caused by a distortion of free will, without which, however, we cannot freely love. So if we're going to freely love, we can also freely not love. And that is the reality in which God's light shines most brightly in that reality that is sometimes night. In our own hearts, in our minds as well, and above all in our lives, may we listen to this, think about it, ponder it, chew it over, and live it until we see him face to face. We don't need superficial Christianity. It is real, vibrant, profound. And our symbol is not a happy face on a pole. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. In that is our salvation. And now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not know now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is clean all over and you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, you are not 
all clean. And when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of you all. I know whom I have chosen. It is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I tell you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives anyone whom I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen.